888-999-9949 or email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com or join our Facebook page at Let's Talk Torah. If you'd like to sponsor the show in memory of a loved one or in merit of someone who needs a speedy recovery, just go to the website, send me a message, or through our Facebook page, again, at letstalktorah at gmail.com. It's good to be back in school after the holiday season. The children are eager to study. We're eager to study. And Ben, we missed you last week. I missed you too. Oh, that's so nice. But we are glad you're back. We're glad you're feeling better. And that is really all we're asking for. Thank you. And Lenard, of course, is going to help us today. Yes, I sure will. Yeah, we can't wait, Lenard. That'll be in our next segment after we get through the beginning of the Torah portion. But I do appreciate Lenard agreeing to discuss some timely and important topics this week. And hopefully it will be fun and informative. This week's topics, we're going to talk about Noah and the flood. The what, the whys, what happened. Um, interesting as a side, not that it matters to me, but um, many, many cultures have in their history information about a flood. Yes. So it's, not, even though, again, I, I don't need to prove to myself or to anyone that there was a flood, wasn't a flood. I once had a friend say to me, Rabbi, do you believe there was really a flood? And then he says to me, don't answer that question. Of course you believe. But forgetting about if I have to prove it to you, but many cultures have it. And generally speaking, when we find many cultures have something in their history, there's truth to it. Just everybody took their own piece. Agreed. Agreed. An important topic specifically geared to last week's Torah portion is racism. Okay. And that Lenard's going to help me out with that. And the real question is, is the Torah racist? And that will be part of our discussion. I'm going to give you proofs. It'll be my job to prove to you, of course, my side of the story. Um, if we have time, we'll talk about the dove and the olive branch. Um, and we'll see, maybe get into the rainbow a little bit. We have to see what else we're left with in the Torah portion. I imagine most people are familiar with the story of the flood. Yes. Yeah, you're familiar with the story. We're going to give a quick review. So the Torah tells us a fascinating thought. It says that the Torah portion starts out, Noah was, was a righteous man. That's how mm-hmm. it starts. So think about this. You know, I know we're getting ready for some advertising, but imagine, Ben, if you go down I-75 and mm-hmm. there's a big sign with your picture and it says, Ben is a righteous man. You've been, uh, you've been checking out on uh, my dreams there because that's... Uh... Not bad, huh? I mean, not bad, yeah. Not bad. Now, imagine if we had just <laughs> I-75, right? right? What if we carried it to Michigan, Ohio, Indiana? You're speaking my language. <laughs> See? So now you have the Torah going ahead yes. and saying, and it doesn't say this very often. As a matter of fact, there's very few people mm-hmm. in the Torah that actually there's an identification of what kind of person they are or a title, and Noah is a righteous man. So that's forever. We've been reading it thousands of years, teaching children, many religions. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a pretty good deal, I must say. Um, in any case, so Noah may have been a righteous man, but the rest of the world wasn't so good. First of all, you have to know there were really only six laws in those days. Those were the six Noahide laws. Mm-hmm. There's a seventh, which takes place after the flood. Okay. And these are basic... Murder, adultery, cursing God, idol worship, stealing, 
and then actually setting up a court system. First of all, because you got to have a court system just so people can have business dealings and land dealings and actually to enforce the other five. So the people were not very good, and that's putting it mildly. They're actually rotten at taking care of these commands. Uh, but the Torah actually says robbery, stealing, sealed the deal. Because you can't have a store. Imagine having a grocery store, mm-hmm. and everybody walks in, puts stuff in their pocket, and walks out. Like, so why bother having a store? So you can't really survive if everyone feels they're free to steal. So boy in class says to me, so how does the person live who got stolen from? I said, he's going to steal from the next guy. So there's no, there's no society. There's no world. So God says robbery is the cause. It's all over. I am destroying the world. So we're all familiar mm-hmm. that uh, Noah was told to build an ark. Mm-hmm. For the most part, a very big boat, but not like nowadays boats. I would call it a big rectangle with three floors. I can't imagine it was, you know, it was pointy on the bottom or tapered on the bottom. It may have been. It looked but like a large bar, like a barge. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. A very big boat. Maybe we'll talk about the size. Maybe we won't. So my son says to me, you know, if God could save Noah any way he wants, so what's the whole point of the boat? Just stick him inside a mountain or build a force field around him. Bring your animals in. What are you worried about? What's the big deal? So I told him, very interesting. Nowadays, if we want to get the message out, Mm -hmm. and it's a wild message, the newspapers will pick it up, social media, it'll explode on social media. It doesn't take long for the world to find out when something good or bad, for that matter, but they like bad more than they like good, and everybody's talking. But here we're we're, uh, 4,100 years ago, approximately. Mm -hmm. So how do you let people know? So yeah, we're not going to get too into Bill Cosby um, for numerous reasons, but of course he has a famous skit mm-hmm. on Noah. But what, what happens like this, you are building this monstrosity of a barge boat yeah. in your backyard, and your front yard, people are going to notice. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would think so. And they're going to ask, okay, yeah. in Bill Cosby's version, the neighbor asked him to get out of his driveway. But, <laughs> but in the, even not in that version... Um, people are going to notice. So they're going to go to Noah and say, what is this? So it's a boat. Why are you building a boat? Anybody knows if you want to build a boat, you build it by the water, right? Even mm-hmm. if you ever wondered, I'm not sure if you wondered, but when the Navy has shipyards, they have these dry docks, mm-hmm. which are right next to the water. You build the boat, however size, whatever size, you flood the area, and you're good to go. Right. But if you're in the middle of, I don't know, my neighborhood or your neighborhood, the boat's not moving, not this size. So Noah says God's upset with how the world is behaving. Either you're going to repent or there's going to be a flood. And I will be saved in this boat. And my children will be saved in this boat. And the animals will be saved. And you will die. So now you have to imagine everyone's going to start talking. And they're not listening to Noah too fast. So it becomes a tourist attraction of everybody wants to make fun of this crazy old man who's building this crazy boat, claiming, so they say, right. the guy wants to destroy the world. Because I told you, one of the commandments was idol worship. Idol worship was everywhere. Everyone was doing idol worship. And maybe a different day we'll explain how the idol worship started, what it led to. The bottom line is, if I worship idols, I don't have to worry about God because I got my own God. 
That's sort of where, where it goes. Right. So therefore, this is his way of warning the world. The world can find out, and they can do what they choose with the information, and unfortunately, they chose to ignore the information, and therefore, the world is completely destroyed in the flood. The size, not very big. Have you ever been to the Detroit Zoo? Yeah. Great place yeah. for kids. Oh, absolutely. The kids love it. It's humongous. Out of the Bronx Zoo. Toledo Zoo is a little smaller. It's a little more compact. But um, this boat is 300 amos, 300 cubits, approximately 600 feet long, approximately 40 feet wide, three floors, approximately 30 feet high. I mean, elephants, giraffes, rhinoceros, lions, tigers, a couple of big animals. It's getting crowded. The middle floor was the animals. The upper floor was for Noah and his family, and I guess the food supply. Mm-hmm. And the bottom floor, of course, is for the mess that the animals are going to leave. Um, yeah, Again, you have to imagine it for a second. Even uh, just take one animal, take the elephant. Like mm-hmm. The amount of straw that an elephant will go through in one day would boggle your mind. Not that we have elephants here in our Detroit Zoo anymore. We used to have. Yeah, that's like, right. They're uh, gone. I don't know if you saw them six, seven years ago. Oh, I, I have, yeah. We used to go, you know, we have one of those passes. Right. So we would run. We'd go, watch them feed the elephants, and go home. Because I live about five minutes away. So if I wanted to see something with the kids, and so they miss the elephants, but they eat a lot. Yeah. And you got to store food for a lot of animals. So the easiest answer is it was miraculous. Otherwise, where and how they had enough room for the food, a little hard to imagine. There's also debates if it was two of every animal or where there are two dogs, and from those dogs all the animals came out, or two of every kind of dog, all debatable, not really for our concern this week. Well, no, no. The only thing that's, not, that, that, that's really not debatable is that flood. Yeah, the flood is not debatable. There's scientific evidence of it. Yeah, lots of evidence, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about a different week. Yeah. So Noah and his family are actually zookeepers for a year. There's no time to sleep. You got to feed a lot of animals. You got to take care, not fish, but birds and, and wild animals and domesticated animals. They have to be taken care of and fed. And by the time you finish going around the circle, you're up to the next circle. The Madras tells us that Noah was late one time for the lion. So the lion gave him a kick or a bite or something that he hobbles with for the rest of the journey. Right. And the lion was telling Noah, hey, I'm the last lion. If you're not careful, no more lions. Right. Right. He's not going to kill him, right? But that was the message. So there's actually an interesting reward that Noah received for taking care of all the animals. Anybody know what it was? No, I can't say that I do. Yeah. Yeah, so the reward was interesting enough. If you look carefully, you don't have to look so carefully. When Adam and Eve are created, so they're told only fruits and vegetables. I mean, I get wheat, but no meat. We were not meat eaters. After the flood, because Noah was responsible for all the animals surviving, now man is allowed to eat meat. Therefore, that leads to the seventh of the Noahide laws, which is that you cannot take any part of an animal to eat it till the animal is dead. In other words, if, okay, it's hard to imagine, but if somebody were to rip a limb off an animal while the animal is alive, so on Noahide laws, you cannot eat that meat. 
again, generally speaking, your McDonald's hamburgers or whatever are after the animal is long dead. I understand. Right. Right. But that's where it's coming from. That's where it's coming from. Uh, Okay, so it rains 40 days and 40 nights. But that's not the end. After the 40 days and 40 nights, the, the lower the waters from underground continue rising for about 150 days. Again, we're not going to get into all the nitty-gritty stuff because that's a little uh, too much for us in this show. Um, the water level, the Torah tells us, is 15 amos or about 30 feet above the tallest mountains. The world is flooded. Everything is destroyed. There's nothing left. They fl- Again, after the... After it goes up the, over the 30 feet up, then it slowly starts to recede. The ark lands on a mountain. The Torah tells us Mount Ararat. People would like to say that's in Turkey. Perhaps it is. Perhaps it's not. There are those who say they've seen it. Those are documentaries. But I looked around. I don't think anyone's satisfied with the real proof. And it's hard to imagine that wood um, would survive um, 4,100 years. Again, not important if it did or didn't. I'm just saying that's a, a conversation that happens to go on. I doubt if it was uh, that much water that wood would hold up that long. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. But again, there are those who claim they saw it, uh, but we have no, no proof to that at all. Noah sends out the raven first. The raven doesn't want to go. Then he sent out the dove three times. First time comes back, nowhere to land. Second time with the olive branch. We'll talk about the olive branch. And the third time around... The dove doesn't come back. It has a place to live. The land is dry. Noah still waits until um, God says you can leave. And then they go out. The land is dry. You can only imagine what a completely destroyed world, or maybe you can't imagine what a completely destroyed world looks like, but that's what Noah came out into. It was a complete year. Noah then will bring some sacrifices God will listen to the prayers of Noah and guarantee him no more flooding to destroy the world. And, um, and the rainbow becomes the sign that when you see the rainbow in the cloud, that's the sign that God made a promise he's not destroying the world with a flood. So, again, you can think about it. Um, so is that good when I see the rainbow or not good? It's good. Because we're not going to get destroyed. Right. At least not by water. At least not by water. Right. Yeah, but think about it for a second. But if there was no rainbow, then that would mean that I don't... It's like a reminder. I don't know if your parents ever did this to you. I hope not. Not nowadays. Nowadays, they put you in jail. But, you know, they just pick up the belt, right? And picking up the belt says you're in big trouble, (laughs) right? But if they don't pick up the belt, so then I'm not in trouble. So perhaps a rainbow could mean... That really, you should be in trouble. Right. But what can I do? God says I made a promise. Just what to think about. Okay. Um, so now, Leonard is going to help me out. For those who want to call in to discuss this fascinating topic, if the Torah is racist, uh, our number again is 844-999-9249, 844-999-9249. You can join our conversation. And before I start... I just want to be very clear of what I'm trying to accomplish. I am not discussing if people are racist. Unfortunately, I think we all know the answer to that question. And I'm not even discussing if Jews are better or worse than anybody else. They have their own issues in Israel, whether it's uh, people from Middle Eastern and and, uh, European, or when they brought the Philistin from Ethiopia, they have their own issues. That's not my discussion at all today. My goal is one thing, 
And that's just to prove the Torah is not racist. And again, if you like what I'm saying, you can call me. And if you just want to listen, you can do that too. And again, it's 844-999-9249. Okay, first let's get to the story where people have the original confusion from. The story goes as follows. So Noah leaves the ark. He has brought along with him plants and seeds to, to get the, the world regrowing. And the first thing he plants is the grapevine. And again, you can imagine, it's a pretty uh, depressing look at the world. I mean, it's just dirt. So he probably wants a nice drink and not water. <laughs> After that, you probably need a drink. He needs a drink. Can you blame him? No. Can't blame him. So he, plant, he plants the grapevine. And miraculously, it grows very fast. He gets his grapes. He gets his wine. And he gets drunk. And again, I am not asking you to tell me if you've ever experienced this or not. You can all chuckle on your own. But sometimes when people get plastered or drunk, you know, I have to teach this to third graders. So I have my own way of teaching it. Yeah. Um, and they go to sleep and they forget to, I mean, they get, try to get into pajamas and they don't manage the whole way to get into pajamas and therefore they have no clothes on. So Noah has three sons, Shem or Sam, Yefes or Jephet, and Ham or Ham, I think is how they pronounce his name. So, and this Ham or this Ham has a son by the name of Canaan, which is actually his fourth son. He has three other children before him. Whether it's Ham or his son, they go into the tent, they see the father lying there naked, and their reaction is to come out of the tent and either make fun of him. Some say Canaan may have molested him, or... Um, I wrote down myself, or what I write down over here, or perhaps even castrate him. It's debatable what he did. Not so clear. The verse is not really clear what happened. And then they come out, and then Sam or Shem and Yafes or Japheth here, and they walk backwards in with a blanket, and they cover their father. Noah wakes up, and he has a divine inspiration. He knows exactly what happened. And he curses not... Ham, not Ham, not one of his three sons, because God had already blessed his three children to be fruitful and multiply. He curses the son, the grandson, this Canaan. Mm-hmm. And he curses him that he will be a slave to the families of Shem, of Sam, and of Yephes, of Japheth. That's all the details the Torah gives. So, Leonard, so far the story is clear? Yes, it is. Very. Have you heard this before? Not so much. You know, I grew up Christian, so it's a little different. Okay, so let me ask you, because this might be important for what we want to get to. This curse of, uh, that, that Noah gave, do you have any, do you remember hearing anything about this curse? No. Okay, so let me tell you. Okay. Interesting enough. Now, this happens to be a debate with different historians. Some historians say that you've heard the, the phrase an anti-Semite. Okay. Anti-Semite, Sem is really Sam. Okay. So it's anti-Semite. So it's really anti-Semitism is officially at Middle Eastern people, whether it's Arabs, whether it's Jews. That's how the term is used because m- many historians say that the Middle Eastern area was all from Sam or from Shem. The Caucasian area was all from this Yefes. That would be even China, and maybe maybe Northern Europe, and 
Africa was this hammer Cham. Therefore, it, according to that, it is believed that the black people came from Cham. That is how many historians feel. However, there's a recent historian by the name of Rabbi Beryl Wine, a very famous historian. He says it's not true. He says different races came from everybody. Every single family had different races. Okay, with that information, here's what we need to figure out. There are, you know, I was, I was telling Leonard before, in the Civil War, when they were fighting over slavery, so one of the things they said was, look, the Bible says that the black people were cursed to be slaves because that's the story that I just told you. So, again, Leonard, have you ever heard this story? I haven't heard it, no. But I guess they wouldn't teach that in Christianity, I guess. I don't know. Well, the problem is, believe it or not, <laughs> ready for this one? Uh-huh. And, uh, and I, I don't know, different groups. Okay. I wrote this one down. I believe till 1967, okay. the Mormon church did not allow black people to be in their church hierarchy. It was like against the laws because of these verses. Okay. So again, that I'm not saying you're Mormon. That that, that right. part you wouldn't know, right. but it happens to be that that's uh, that's pretty correct. And of course, people once people figured it out. In other words, no one knew. If no one knows, well, no one knows. Once people figured it out, they had to change the rules. Right. Okay. But there's no question that people believed that that's why that black people were supposed to be slaves, and that's where the idea that people said the Torah is racist comes from this. Torah section. Okay. Now I got to tell you why it's not true. Right. Okay. So first things first. I told you that Canaan was the fourth child of of Ham, of Ham. Noah's first son, his name is Cush. Almost everybody believes Cush is Ethiopia. Okay. Okay, so that's a part of Africa. We'll assume that all the people that went there were also black. They were not cursed. So they were from this Ham, this Ham, not cursed by Noah, so it has the, the idea of slavery to say that everyone who has that skin color should be a slave is ridiculous and not true. So that's the first thing that I, it's not my proof, by the way, but that's the first thing just to show you that in this famous story where people, forget people, we're talking about in the Civil War, we're talking about the Mormon Church, talking about a lot of people, important people uh, for their own purposes, I'll assume, misinterpreted what the Torah said. However, that doesn't prove the Torah is not racist. That just proves that this story is not a racist story. So far, so good? So far, clear? So far, so good. So I said, now, now, of course, I had to get myself a dictionary to get it right. But, Leonard, you're going to help me out. If I asked you to define, I have the dictionary's translation, but I want to ask you anyways, how do you define racism? I would say it would be a group of people who look down on others because of maybe history or something of that nature. You know, that's what I would take from it. Okay, you're almost as close as the dictionary. Okay. Let me read to you what the American Heritage College Dictionary says like this. Two translations or two definitions. Okay. It says, firstly, racism is the belief that race accounts for differences in human character or ability— and that a particular race is superior to others. So you were saying similar to that with the idea of uh, things through history. 
But this is being defined that a race is better or worse. Oh, look, the Germans did it. Right? This has happened throughout history and continues to happen. That's the first definition. And the second definition is what happens because of it. In other words, that's discrimination or prejudice based on race. Right. Okay. So now I got to prove to you. Mm-hmm. And these are my, it's interesting. I said these proofs to my children. Some they liked, some they loved, some they didn't get. Okay. So we'll take it through each one. Mm-hmm. So what does the Torah say about this? So let's think for a second. First of all, there's a verse that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. Okay, how many Adam and Eves were there? It was only one of each. Only one of each. Right. Right? And I know I'm going a little out of order. It doesn't say there was a white one and a black one and a yellow one and a tan one. Right. There's just one. Right. So everybody's coming from one family. Mm-hmm. So if it says that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, so that applies to everybody. That proof works pretty good. Right. Let's go further. The second one is on the same line. There was a prophet by the name Malachi who says, have we not one father? Has not one God created us? Same idea. Right. Same exact idea. Now, almost on a flip side, uh, the Talmud points out and asks, why was there only one Adam and Eve? Why not have a bunch of them? So the Talmud answer is very interesting because we don't want people to come along sometime in the future and to say, huh, you're from this line of creation. That's no good. I'm from this one. I'm better. There's only one line. I mean, it restarted. It started with Adam and Eve. And again, it restarts with Noah. There's only one line. Right. So, okay, that we got. Good. So all, all these start to tell me that the Torah clearly does not want to talk about race. Race is irrelevant. And now I want to get into the proof that my children appreciated more. Judaism, for sure. We already discussed some other religions that have their issues. But Judaism, for sure, does not believe there is an inherently superior race. And here I'll prove it to you. First of all, there's no question in the Jewish prayers, we do mention that we are chosen, we're the chosen people, That makes us special. However, what makes a Jew special is that we accepted God's Torah. Not because of who my parents are, not because of my grandparents are, because we accepted God's Torah. And guess what? Anybody who wants can join. There are no rules and regulations. Anybody who shows up to the court and says, I would like to join the Jewish nation, okay, good, he has to. We have to make sure he knows what he's getting into. We have to understand he's going from seven laws to 613 laws. And, and there's, uh, there's dietary laws and who he's allowed to marry and, and, uh, and holidays and fasting. Fine. But if he's okay with that, nowhere, anywhere does it say, we accept everybody except people from, I don't know, Kamchatka. I just think of the name for my wrist board. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's no such thing. As a matter of fact, the Torah actually goes ahead and has numerous, not like once or twice, but numerous times where the verse says, be careful how you treat the convert. Because he's Jewish, just like you are Jewish. He just wasn't born Jewish, but he accepted God's laws, all accepted. Now I want to take it even a step further. There are religions out there, and I'm not going to list them, 
But basically they say if you do not accept their religion or believe the way they believe, then they basically tell you um, you're going to hell. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Either you believe our way or you're, you're toast. I've right. been on the receiving end of those words. Yeah, I've been on the receiving end of those words. Yes. Yeah. The Torah is fascinating. Right. The Torah says no such thing. If you're not Jewish and you don't want to be Jewish, you have seven, we discussed them already, mm-hmm. seven Noahide laws. You follow those laws, you are going to the world to come. Garden of Eden, world to come, you're in because you're good. That's what you were told to do. You follow the directions, you win. And you'll be in a better place than a Jew who decides to keep nothing. So you see the Torah is not that you must be my, it's my way or the highway. You want to be Jewish, be Jewish. You don't want to be Jewish, these are the laws. But if you want to be Jewish, you have the opportunity. No one will stop you. Um, here's another fascinating proof. As long as we get through these, Leonard, we're, going, we're, we're okay with these proofs. Oh, yeah, we're good. You got this last one. Right. Because mm-hmm. my kids, when they heard this one, that floored them. They said, yeah, anybody can convert. Must be anybody could be Jewish. Right. And the Torah says they have to treat the convert as they treat anybody else. Right. So if anybody can convert, then anybody can be Jewish. Obviously, the Torah is telling me they were all the same. And we'll say, I'm not discussing smarter, more athletic, more musically inclined. It's not my discussion here today. It's not what I'm looking for. All we're looking to decide is and prove the Torah is racist or not racist. So listen to this one. There is a debate between two famous rabbis. There's Rabbi Akiva, and there's a student, perhaps his son-in-law, Ben Azai. And they wanted to know what is the seminal message of the Torah, the message. So... You should know one of them. And I, you know, one of the the message that when people talk about the Torah, the message? No. Yeah, you know it. For sure you know it. Ben, any idea? You know it. I'm going to say it. You're going to say, yeah, he meant that. Yeah. I'm, well, I, I'm still recovering, so I, my mindset's not quite. So. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Anyways. Come on. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, yeah. Well, See, I told you. Everybody knows that. that. One, right? Everybody knows. So that's what Rabbi Akiva said. Love your neighbors yourself. We all treat each other fairly, nicely. We live, uh, we live peacefully with each other. So interesting enough, his son-in-law, this Ben Azai, says, not a good proof. You know why? Because I'm going to get nitty-gritty. Love your neighbor as yourself? Who qualifies as a neighbor? Maybe you don't like that guy. Maybe he didn't belong in your neighborhood. Maybe you made laws that he can't move into your neighborhood. Which, by the way, when I was going to school, I was looking at schools for high school. Um, so in New Rochelle, there's a, a, at least in those days, was a very uh, fancy neighborhood in, not sure where, somewhere in New York. I'm sure someone knows. Um, so they were taking us around. There were these posts um, outside the neighborhoods. Leonard, do you know what those posts used to say? They used to have chains across them. You know what they said? Do not enter? I don't know. Well, <laughs> sort of. Okay. You know, you just grew up so nice, and no one told you anything. Mm-hmm. Ben, do you have any idea what these signs said? you ever saw these signs? Not personally, but I, I uh, in photos, I believe it was um, implying this neighborhood is ex- exclusive. Yeah, you know, you're also a very nice person. No, they, they, they were not yeah. implying anything. They no, said, I was, yeah, I was sugarcoating it. I said, no Jews, blacks, or dogs. It was very simple. Right. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. okay. So, therefore, 
Benazai says, this might not be such a good proof because maybe I'm only going to have neighbors that, uh, that I feel are just like me. So therefore, Ben-Azai says a different verse. He says the verse is, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. In other words, we all come from Adam and Eve. We're all the same. So that automatically has to teach me that I have to treat everybody nicely, fairly, certainly no types of racism. Okay, so far these proofs are working for you, Leonard? Yes, they are. Just curious. So yeah. far, I have one more for you. I want to bring down okay. one, more, uh, one more idea. But before I bring down that last idea, um, any of them you appreciate? Well, I mean, yeah, I appreciate them all because, I mean, it, it's giving me knowledge on the Torah. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Okay, I accept that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there was a rabbi who I met. He passed away, I think, in 1986, 1986, 1987, somewhere in that range. His name was Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. So and we're not going all the way back to the Talmud of uh, uh, 1,500 years ago or 1,400 years ago. He wrote a book on each Torah portion. He wrote a book, and in that book he discussed the Torah portions. And he actually has, this is very fascinating, he actually has a whole piece where he says, like, he's almost upset. Maybe he was upset when he wrote it. Mm-hmm. He said, there are people who hate us, who say we're racist, then they don't understand racism. He says, we're not racist. He says, the Torah doesn't believe in racism. So there was, he had one other question. And was, even if we're not discussing Canaan, what color skin he was, but maybe you could say there's racism because I'm treating one person or one family, again, Irregardless of what he looked like. But we're treating one family, the family of Canaan, different than another family. So perhaps you could still say there's racism. Yeah, let's try to get that mm-hmm. clear. Till now we're just talking in broad general how we talked to the Civil War and, and others, what they used to say about the slaves. That was being very not specific. They just had a good excuse. But the fact of the matter is, again, not discussing what color Canaan was, but... Noah curses him and says, your family is now different. So maybe that's racism. Because I'm, according to the dictionary translation we said before, that if I have a different, if I treat one family different, that becomes racism. So Kamenetsky said, not true. The rule why this Canaan family is being treated differently has nothing to do with his lineage. It has to do with his character traits. The Talmud says that uh, Canaan, this Canaan family, would tell his children the following. Love stealing, love promiscuity, hate your masters, don't speak the truth. So Noah saw what kind of family he was creating. So he was saying, if this is your character traits, then you have to be a slave. You want to get rid of those character traits? Then you're not a slave. The same thing, when we talked about before that, the, that we discuss in our prayers that the Jews are the chosen people, that's because we have character traits that we received from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which, as we keep saying, anybody who wants those character traits, the door is wide open. Those character traits happen to be compassion, conscious, and enjoy, very way, interesting way of putting it, and to enjoy acts of kindness. So again... If you want to have rotten character characteristics, character flaws, 
then there's going to be one way we're going to look at you. Not because of who your family is. Everyone's going to decide what their character traits are. If you want to have good character traits, then we're going to look at you differently. But it's not racism because it has nothing to do with family. It has to do with what kind of person you are. Okay, interesting. That's what I think. If my goal was to prove that the Torah is not racist, I think I did a pretty good job. And for all the people who need to digest this to see if they think I'm right or wrong, so you can't call because I talk too fast, no problem. Just go to my email, um, letstalktorah at gmail.com, send me your question or the Facebook page, and click that uh, message button. And if you have something to say about this, I will do my best to reply in a timely fashion. But I wanted to talk one more thing. And that is, now this is no longer a proof, this is just a a fact of how people are, and that's being proud. Sometimes when people are proud of who they are, what they stand for, so automatically people say, you're proud, you're racist. You're proud, you're racist, because generally speaking, you're proud because you're different. Maybe I'm proud because I'm smart. (laughs) Maybe I'm proud because I I, I ran a race. Maybe I'm proud because I can sing better. Maybe I'm proud because I can fly an airplane. I don't know. I can be proud of different things. Is there anything wrong with that? So listen to this. There's a very ancient medrash called Perek Shira, which means the chapter of songs. In there, they actually list all the songs that the animal kingdom sings. They don't sing real words, but when they make the noises that they make... So that's called their song, and actually the Midrash explains what they're saying. So think about this for a second. The, each creature, as God created it, believes, and this is what it says in Perak Shira. So we're talking about animals here. That it, that animal, is the most lovely and ultimate of all creatures on the planet. Not just the horses or the lions, but even a slimy toad actually cannot imagine... It's hard for us to imagine. But the the toad can't imagine a creature more beautiful than itself that could sing a song more melodious than the song it sings. I mean, come on. We maybe, you know, I had a book at home where uh, we have one of these books where the frog has a very beautiful voice because the kid next door, the, the book is called The Lady Next Door. It's a kid's book, like real little kids, like I Can Read book or something. Mm-hmm. So this boy doesn't like his neighbor because she sings opera. But he hears the frog, and he loves the frog, and he tries to have the frog counteract her singing, but of course she's on some high octave. So but the point is, Barak Shiva says that even the frog is proud of who he is, and he thinks he's the best. There's absolutely nothing wrong with a person being proud of who they are for what they accomplish. And that's, by the way, how we raise our children. I raise my children to be proud of who they are and what they stand for, and what they accomplish. Some will accomplish more, some less. Some have, have talents in acting, and some have talents in singing, and some have talents in studying, and some have talents in math. Wherever your talents are, you're supposed to use your talents. You know, many people say, you've heard this phrase before, you know, there's no one like you. Now, of course, some people then add to that phrase and saying it's a good thing, but okay, forget about that, <laughs> right? But we teach our children, you're special. There's nothing wrong with a child being taught they're special. Pride is dangerous when it leaves no room for others. 
when my pride says, I'm the best and I have no use for you, I don't need you, I don't want you, you're worthless. That's when we have a problem. People that want us to all turn into mush, to be one big pot of all the same, right? they don't want people to preserve their heritage and their mission, right? right? Those are the problem people. Right? Let, let, I, I can't remember, you have a son or a daughter? Well, I have a son that I take care of, not biological, but... It, you it doesn't to, matter. Right, yeah. Taking care mm-hmm. is all the same for me. Exactly. We can talk about that another day. Okay. So you take care of his son. So do you squash him or do you want him to be proud of who he is? I'm very proud of who he is. You're proud, but do you tell him to be proud? Yeah. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Of course. Mm-hmm. But there's people out there that want us to all be exactly the same. Almost like, you know, we're coming out of a, out of a, out of a press from the factory. You know, right. we're all the same. Whatever car you want to pick. That's right. not what we want from our children. No. Because if we teach our children that they're unique and they're special, then they'll... they'll I, trust me on this one, Leonard. Mm-hmm. Whatever you teach your children, they will believe you. Yeah, they sure will. Right? You teach them that they're special, mm-hmm. they walk around being special. You teach them they're not so special, they believe that also. Right. It's all the same. Mm-hmm. So it is important. So pride, there is a place... For pride. It doesn't mean because that when I'm prideful of who I am that everybody else is worthless. Right. That's not the intention. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud of who I come from and what, I, what my goal and jobs are in this world. And you have to be proud of where you come from and what you want your child to do. Right. Very simple, very straightforward. Right. Okay, so I think, Leonard, if our goal was... To, um, to talk about racism a little bit again. Mm-hmm. This is not the show to conquer the world's problems <laughs> on racism because, <laughs> right. unfortunately, I don't think I'll be very successful. Not yet, at least. Right. When we have a couple million listeners, then maybe. Right. But at this point, not yet. Mm-hmm. But at least this point, the people make a mistake and want to blame the Torah, and therefore they want to blame Jews for being racist, and the Torah being racist, not true. Right. Okay. Oh, this was all so deep, so I left myself a joke. Okay. We're going to try again. We did this uh, a couple weeks ago. My kids still laugh at the joke. I got a new one. All right. We're going to try a new joke. Here we go. Okay. Rabbi joke. No mother jokes. Rabbi joke. So a congregant asks his rabbi, Rabbi, you're a man of God. So why is it that you're always talking about business when I, a businessman, am always talking about spiritual matters? Pretty good question. So the rabbi answers, you have discovered one of the principles of human nature. And what's that, rabbi? People like to discuss things they know nothing about. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that went over pretty good. Right. We did did pretty good on that one. Excellent. Okay, fine. Thank you for laughing. My kids like that joke. All right, so lots of stuff today. I know I really harassed uh, Leonard about this. Ben, what did you learn today? You're deep in thought, except you're not feeling well. But uh, in between the not feeling well, did you learn anything today? Well, I have to say that I have have heard uh, a bit about um, Noah's cursor, but... Finding out a little bit more, finding out more in depth, you know, as far as like getting a little in depth, uh, that was interesting. I liked that. Uh, cool. Yeah. Made okay. me want to read more. Oh, you'll read more. I always yeah. read. I'll read everything and anything. It's so easy to get this information. I yes. mean, now with the internet, with Google, 
you just have to know who your source is to know if there's any value because you got to recheck what they write. Right. In uh, journalism and broadcasting school, they check multiple sources, have try to have at least two and make sure that they're good, solid, uh, reputable sources. So that's always right. good for life. Some of these things are a little harder. For me, some of these things are easier. I just go to the library and I can start pulling books out. But Google... Even in Google, they'll they'll have a rabbi quoting something or a person quoting something. If he makes a quote, just go back to the source. He quoted it right. He quoted it wrong. Yeah. Very simple. I mean, again, the written word is dangerous because we unfortunately assume if it's written, it's true. So that we have to be careful from, but we can check. I don't know if Jake can hear me. Jake, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Did you learn anything yet today? Uh, yeah, kind of going off what Ben said about the about Noah. I cool. Mean, I do have uh, kind of my own beliefs, but yeah. Okay, I accept. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's back up. I wanted to touch on a few other points on this week's Torah portion. So we said the dove. The dove brings back the second time. The first time he just comes back. He has nothing in his mouth. He has nothing on him. He goes out a week later, and he brings back an olive branch. So most of us should be familiar. Um, what was he symbolizing with the olive branch? Mm-hmm. Ben, do you know? As far as bringing back proof that there's land? Is that what that... Well, that's one of the things. Oh, you're talking about symbolism. Yeah, symbolism. Hmm. Lenar, what's the olive branch symbolize? I think it's to symbolize that there's the earth is ready to be prosperous again, that it's something growing on the earth. Okay. You're both fantastic, but you don't know what's happening in the real world. Don't I tell you? There, there is, there is um, you know, a, a saying about extending an olive branch to someone. Yes, you know, hey, yes. here's my hand. Come, you Right, know. so what does the olive branch... It's letting them know that the earth is ready to, to take... Okay, one second, let on. <laughs> you ever heard of the, of the expression that I'm going to extend the olive branch? No. No, you never heard that. So, Ben, what does it mean? If I extend the olive branch, what does that mean? Uh, offering a hand to help or just... You know, not only do I have to teach you guys Torah, I got to teach you guys. It stands for peace. Peace, yes. Oh, okay. Peace. Yes. Okay, here we go. It stands for peace. Now, the interesting thought is I'm not sure where that happened Mm -hmm. because the commentaries or the Talmud doesn't say that that's what it symbolized. Mm -hmm. It acts a fascinating symbolism. First of all, there's a problem where he got the olive branch from. If the whole world has been destroyed, again, if it's floating on top of the water... So it's, it doesn't prove anything. So you found a branch floating in the water, but I need to know if it's dry outside. So clearly the branch has to prove to me that the land is dry. So there's two answers to this. Either he went to the land of Israel, and the fact that he could fly that far means there was places to rest along the way. And even though Israel also was flooded, but it didn't get the the actual rain coming down on it or the waters coming up from underneath that were destructive, it just had the waters flow in. So the trees survived. People didn't, but the trees did. So either took a branch from there, and the proof proof that it's dry is because the dove reached there, and others say similar that it went to the Garden of Eden. Fine. So then they ask, so if it can take any branch at once, if it can take any branch at once, why pick an olive branch? So, Ben, you ever eat olives? 
Yes. 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 Leonard, do you ever have olives? I love olives, especially black olives. Really? Yes. That's so I do like the black olives. Okay. If I asked you to describe, you know, I, I, I like oranges. I like apples. Mm. I like grapes. Um, if I asked you to describe the taste of an olive, what would you tell me? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's not sweet. It's not sweet like an orange. It's no, not sweet it, like a grape. It's kind of bitter. It's bitter. That's yeah. what I wanted. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the word I wanted. Mm-hmm. So why pick a bitter tree? As God obviously is 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 directing the bird which which a tree to take a branch from, mm-hmm. but why a bitter tree? So it was a message. The message was the dove is saying, "I would rather that I get my food, my sustenance from God, even if it's bitter." But it's coming straight from God. No in between. I don't owe anybody any favors. Me and God, better than receiving my food sweet. But I have to work for somebody. Mm-hmm. I have to get my money from somebody else. So that's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with peace. So I always wondered, where did people get this idea? I'm sure there's good reasons. But I'm not sure where people got this idea that giving out the olive branch at the dove is not fighting with Noah. Perhaps, perhaps the answer is that God is obviously handing the branch to Noah saying almost as if I destroyed the world, like I was at war with the world. Mm -hmm. And Noah, you were locked away for a year in the ark. And now God says, okay, now we're going to start all over again, which is the idea of peace anyways. Whenever somebody wants to to rekindle a relationship or we want to be at peace, the first thing we usually try to say is, let's forget the past, let's start all over again which is really exactly what was happening in the world at this time, that we were going ahead and saying, uh, reboot, or as uh, no one does GPS anymore, <laughs> right? Yeah, you still have a GPS? You use Waze, I, probably. I still have a GPS. You still have a GPS. Yeah. So when you, when you go off the path mm-hmm. of the GPS, you know, if you listen to it, it says recalibrating. Right. right we're going to recalibrate. So God says we're recalibrating the world. We're starting over again, Noah. The world's going to start with you. There'll be differences in the, in the world. It seems that before the flood, there were no seasons. Everything was beautiful. The weather was fantastic. People were healthy. Certainly, you look in the Bible, they lived extremely long lives, very, very long lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's changing. There are seasons. The Torah actually says there are six seasons. We have four. The Torah says six. Just, you know, they're breaking up into two-month uh, slots. Um, the weather won't always be so perfect. I was telling my kids, I think it was Friday night, just walking down the street. It, the weather was beautiful. It was just a pleasure. I don't know if you got out. You got to get out. Even today, the weather's gorgeous. I said, yeah, in Michigan, a couple days a year, we have that beautiful weather. And the rest of the year, we remember that we had a couple days of beautiful weather. But, um, but so, that, so the world's going to change. The rules are going to be different. Noah's prayed to God. God's not going to bring another flood. People are not going to live as long. We won't have the opportunity to be as wicked for as long as they were. What are you laughing at, Leonard? Because you just said they, they don't have the opportunity to be as wicked as they once were. <laughs> are you like that? Why? Well, I mean, you know, I just think that, you know, people shouldn't be wicked at all. But <laughs> Of course people shouldn't be wicked at all. That will be another a job that me and you are going to have to work on. But right. again, we're going to have to get a few million listeners for that. Exactly. Um, so we've been talking about dealing with people different types of people dealing together. I want to tell you two quick stories. 
both happen to have been very famous, were, were all over social media a couple of years ago. Either you remember it if you don't, but you guys are good at checking online. The first story happened to have taken place in Israel. And there's a man, probably a rabbi, he's driving his car, and he bashes his car into a parked car, gets out of his car, gets out a note, and leaves a note on the windshield. This is my address. This is my phone number. Please come to me. I can take care of the, of the damage. Mm-hmm. A couple hours later, there's a knock on his door. The rabbi goes to the door, opens the door, flash. Pictures. So he says, who, who are you? He says, you're so-and-so. You left a note on my car. Yeah. He says, I never saw such a thing in my life. That somebody should hit my car, could drive away, no one would ever know, and you left me your name and your address. No one will believe me. I had to take a picture of you. Mm. That was one story. Now, by the way, you can juxtapose that. There's a famous Reader's Digest joke where a guy, is, uh, a guy comes to his car, he sees his car get into an accident, and he's reading a note. And the note says that, um, I'm sorry I hit your car, but a lot of people witnessed it. And they think that I'm writing my name and license plate number and insurance. I'm not, but have a good day. Uh-huh. And that was enough. <laughs> you ever heard this one? No, I didn't hear that yeah, one. Yeah, because wow. you didn't read Reader's Digest as a kid. Okay. Um, one more quick story. There was a man by the name of Isaac Thiel. Okay. He became a social media celebrity because his picture was taken when he was sitting on a train. And an African-American man sitting next to him fell asleep, leaning his head on the guy. This was a million people, a million people at least. So I went and looked it up. I mean, you see the picture, guy sitting on the train. He missed his stop because wow. he didn't want to wake the guy up wow. because who cares? You're a person, I'm a person, which is really the whole thing that we wanted to try to accomplish today, mm-hmm. that we wanted to discuss um, all about differences in people. And our goal is not to be so different with other people. And, uh, and that's, that's hopefully the uh, food for thought that I've uh, been trying to leave you with. And, um, and there goes the music. <laughs> and I do appreciate Ben helping me out as I'm learning how to deal with the music. Um, thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team, to, uh, to, to Ben, uh, to Leonard again, special help for Jake behind the glass. I hope I left you with some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah New Radio Media. Until next week, don't forget to think about it.